Hello, and welcome to Field Notes, the weekly podcast of the Military Fellowship Center in Jacksonville, North Carolina, serving Marines stationed at Camp Lejeune and surrounding areas. Military Fellowship Center is a ministry of Military Evangelism Incorporated. Our speaker and host for the program is Dave Mason, the General Director of Military Evangelism and the Field Director at Jacksonville. Visit us on the web at militaryfellowshipministry.com or email us at militaryfellowshipctr at gmail.com. Now, here's Dave Mason. Hello and welcome back to Field Notes. Today we start John chapter 4. Now we're going to be in John chapter 4 for the next month. So just sit back and relax. Uh, We're going to start today with the story of the woman at the well. And we'll be with her for the next three weeks or so. And so let's get right into our scripture today. John chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. So remember, last time we talked about how there was this uh, question of John the Baptist. Um, you know, his, his disciples came to him and said, John, this guy Jesus, he's, the, he's preaching and he's baptizing more than you. And John said, that's okay. He has to increase and I must decrease. So after all this happened and, and Jesus heard about it, um, it, it, he understood that this was going on. He left Judea and departed for Galilee. He left uh, and started moving towards Galilee. And instead of doing what the Jews always do, which is go around Samaria, verse 4 says, he must needs go through Samaria. Verse 5, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Verse 8, For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. So Jesus is sitting at this well by himself. It's noon. It's hot heat of the day. Uh, sixth hour, that's noon, in uh, the time, uh, the way they counted time in that part of the country, of the world then. Uh, and uh, Jesus is sitting at the well by himself, and here comes a woman. And Jesus speaks to this Samaritan woman. Give me something to drink. Verse 9. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me, which is a woman of Samaria? For the the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Father, thank you again for this time to study your word. Thank you for those that are listening. And we pray, Father, that uh, your word does not return void, that it accomplishes in the hearts of the listeners exactly what you purpose it to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus leaves Judea, heads up towards Galilee, and instead of going around Galilee like the Jews always do, he goes straight through Samaria. Once his fame grew, he intentionally leaves the spotlight. And we see him doing this over and over again in Scripture. Mostly he would leave to get away and rest and pray. But this time he left so that he could reach someone. He wanted to teach his followers a very important lesson about just who gets to go to heaven. 
Verse 4 says he needed to go through Samaria. That was a direct route, straight to Galilee, the direct route. But the Jews never, at that time, took the direct route. They avoided Samaria. They walked out of their way because Samaritans were looked down on as, in the Jew of the, that time, in their opinion, the Jewish people of that time, they looked down on Samaritans as half-breeds and worthless people. You see, after the Assyrian captivity, when the northern tribe was captured by Syria, the few Jews who remained in the region of Samaria, they intermarried, and they started mixing the true worship of God with the pagan cultures and the idols that were brought in through Samarians. Second Kings 17.24, And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sephirin and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them which slew some of them. Wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he sent lions among them, and behold, they slay him, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. So then the king of Samaria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom you have brought thence, and let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Okay, so let's take a Jewish priest and teach the people that I've put into this area the ways of Jehovah, because apparently he's the God of that particular land. That's the way these pagan kings thought. Then one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. How be it? However, every nation, every people that went into that area made gods of their own and put them in houses in the high places which the Samaritans made every nation in their city where they dwelt. So they were mixing the people together. They, you know, when, when we talk about a mixed race, okay, we're not talking about black and white and uh, yellow and brown and that sort of thing. We're talking about mixed race spiritually. And the Samaritans, the Jews that lived in Samaria, they mixed their religion. They, they, were, they allowed their religion to be contaminated by foreign blood and false worship. And that, that mixture of the, the spirituality of the pagans and the spirituality of the Jews is what brought about the Samaritans. And that's why the Samaritans were considered low. Um, because they were... They, they mixed pagan worship with... Now, understand that the, <laughs> the Jewish people in Jerusalem, Judea, they, they had no leg to stand on as far as calling the Samaritans uh, pagan worship because that, they were hypocrites. I mean, uh, there were t idols all throughout the very temple of God. The, the high priest who spit in Jesus' face, he was an idol worshiper. Uh, that's all there is to it. But, you know, looking good on the outside is more important than being right on the inside. Uh, in no matter what time you live in. So they hated the Samaritans because they openly uh, mixed their religion with paganism. And that's why the parable of the Good Samaritan is so powerful. You remember the good parable of the Good Samaritan? A man fell by the wayside, and a Jewish priest walked past him and goes crosses over the other side of the road so he doesn't have to get too near him, and another one, and another one. And finally, a Samaritan finds this man on the side of the road, and he picks him up, he cleans his wounds, he dresses him, he takes him into a town, he takes him to a, a hotel, and he pays the bill and says, let this man stay here as long, and if, you, if, if he overstays his welcome, I'll be back in a few days, and I'll pay whatever else I, you need. He's the one that helped. And so Jesus was teaching that everybody, 
everybody is worth the opportunity to help. Everybody is worth the opportunity to witness to. Everybody needs God. And so Jesus finds himself here just outside this town in Samaria at the well of Jacob at high noon. His disciples have gone into town for supplies, and he sits down at the well, and he's waiting for them. And this woman comes to the well, and I, I don't have any doubt in my mind that Jesus knew this woman was coming to the well. Now, it's very unusual for a Jewish woman to be drawing water at noon in this part of the world at, at this time of history. Women got the day's supply of water early in the morning when it was cool, and the women of the town would all gather together, walk down to the well or the river, wherever they got their water, and they would all fill their water pots up when it was early because they had to get back to their houses. They had to clean. They had to cook. They had to get things ready for the day. That's when they wouldn't get their water. But this woman, she comes to the well at noon. Now, later on, as we get into his conversation with her, we'll come to know a few things about this woman. We'll know, first of all, that she's a woman who's been married and divorced several times. And she's a woman who is, at this moment, living in sin with a man who's not her husband. So, now we get an idea of why she's drawing water at noon in the heat of the day. She's trying to avoid the women of the community who wouldn't look down on her. And let's face it, no respectable Jewish man especially a rabbi, as Jesus was called. No respectable Jewish man, rabbi, would be seen talking with this woman. So we have this meeting between Jesus and a lost person, just like in chapter 3. But in chapter 3, we had a very different person. We had a Jew, as opposed to a Samaritan. We had a man, as opposed to a woman. We had a religious leader, Nicodemus as opposed to an immoral woman. And so Jesus finds himself at Jacob's well alone with a woman of ill repute. So what does he do? Well, he starts a conversation with her. Look, we cannot reach folks with the gospel by just approaching them and immediately hitting them over the head with the Bible. The people you need to reach with the gospel, you need to remember this. This is very, very important. And I don't know if you recognize it. I don't know if you. I don't know that all Christians. I, I'll, I'll say this much. I I doubt most Christians keep this in mind as they are out trying to tell people about Jesus. The people that you're trying to reach with the gospel are people. They're people. They have feelings. They have ideas. They have opinions. They need someone to talk to them, not talk at them. They need someone to relate with them. Jesus strikes up a conversation that helps him to relate to this woman. Hey, could you get me a glass of water? Could you draw me some water out of the well? I'm thirsty. He asked her for a favor. Not, he didn't use a sales pitch. I'm afraid that that's what a lot of our soul winning has become. It's just become a sales pitch. Oh, give me five minutes and I'll show you five verses and you can know for sure you're going to heaven. If that's the first thing you say to a person you've never met before... You're going to have a hard time introducing them to the Savior. They need to know that you know that they're a human being as well as you. That they have feelings. They have opinions. And they need to be listened to. We don't need to spend our time arguing. We need to spend more time listening. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. 
I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. This woman is surprised that he would talk to her, and even more surprised that he would ask her to draw him water. Why did he do it? Why did he start this conversation? Because everybody needs to meet Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.3 For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Everybody needs to meet Jesus. Amen? Everybody. There's not a person out there that doesn't need to meet Jesus. So, Jesus comes to the well. He meets this woman. And now he's going. He struck up a conversation. He's related to her. He's he started a relationship with her. He's asking her of normal physical things, just regular everyday things, just a regular conversation. And then he uses her response to start creating a spiritual question in her mind. John four eleven. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep from whence then hast thou this living water living water remember back in verse 10 jesus said if you knew the gift of god and who it is that said to thee give me to drink you would have asked of him you would ask me and i would have given you living water she says you don't have a pitcher you don't have a bucket how are you going to give me where are you going to get this living water from verse 12 are you greater than our father jacob who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You see, now Jesus has started a conversation. There's some back and forth. There's a relationship being established, a one-on-one with another human being. She's not a number. She's not a notch. She's not a nobody. She's a person who God created in his image. And now Jesus turns the conversation to spiritual things. He says, If you knew, if you only knew, recognizing the fact that she was lost, Jesus forgoes arguments, proofs, and pleas, and just states the facts and lets the Word of God do the work. That's what we need to start doing. Quit worrying about having an answer to every question. Let's just let the Word of God do its work. First question, do you know the gift of God? Do you know, if you knew, if you only knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift God's offering you right now, I think sometimes we forget, as Christians, that what we're offering the world is a gift. It's a free gift, and it's the greatest gift anyone should ever receive. So don't let the fear of rejection keep you from sharing your faith. Let the knowledge that you're offering someone the greatest gift, the single most important moment of their life, spur you to keep witnessing. Jesus says, if you only knew, oh, dear lady, if you only knew, you'd be begging me for this gift. Why? Because the water I'm offering, Jesus says, is living water. A few chapters later in John chapter 7, Jesus is going to stand in the temple. In that last day of the great feast, John seven thirty-seven, Jesus stands in the temple and cries, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, But this he spake of the Spirit, 
which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because the, Jew, the Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus says, if you only knew, you'd be begging me for this water, because this water, this is living water, lady. This is water that will never, ever stop. It's always cold. It's always flowing. It's always available. I'm offering you everlasting life. And the woman says, well, how are you going to do that? You don't have a bucket. Now, that's a natural question. Because it's a question that reveals man's need for religion. See, she's looking for something to do. Religion says, do this, do that, do the other, and God will be happy with you. Jesus is offering water, but he doesn't have a pitcher. He doesn't have a bucket to draw from the well with. It's the same way when we talk to folks about the Lord today. They're looking for physical answers to spiritual questions. Now listen, don't let that slop, stop you. Don't let that slow you down. You need to understand that when you start sharing your faith with someone else, those questions are going to happen. Expect those questions to happen. Expect the lost person you're talking to that they won't understand. Expect that. Remember Nicodemus? Jesus said to Nicodemus, I'm telling you the truth, buddy, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how can that be true? What, can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Now, what, what a stupid question that is. But you notice that Jesus didn't look at Nicodemus and say, well, that was just stupid. He didn't say that. He just gently led him to the truth. You're going to get questions. You're going to get questions. Don't let that stop you. Don't let that slow you down. Don't let that scare you. Expect it. And remember that God wants everyone saved. And the only way people get saved is through the Word of God and the understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 10.13 Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10.9 That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, so the word of God is what convicts a heart, and then as they start to believe, if they will confess with their mouth, believing in their heart about in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, God will save their souls. God wants everyone saved. He wants this woman at this well saved. I think she's about to get saved. We'll see that in a week or so. But I'm going to leave you with 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. This is a verse that means a lot to me. And I hope it means a lot to you. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But He is long-suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord's not slack. He's not laying back. He's not, he's not holding back His blessing that He's promised, as some men would think. He's just long-suffering. He's, he's waiting. Why hasn't Jesus come back already? Why hasn't the end time started so that we can see things? Why haven't we been raptured yet? Because the Lord is long-suffering to the world. He's not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's giving the world a little more time, 
Another chance. Oh, so that means everybody gets saved eventually, right? No, that's not what that means. There's, there's no universal salvation. Salvation is only for those who accept the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, placing their faith and trust in Jesus. That's, that's the only people to get saved. But the Lord doesn't want anybody to go to hell. And He's willing to give people a little extra time. He is long-suffering. And you may have a friend or a family member that you've been trying to talk to about Jesus, and they're just not listening. Let me encourage you to be long-suffering towards them. Give them some time. Give them some chance. Just keep speaking the Word of God into their lives. Keep keep coming at them and coming at them and, and explaining to them things. Keep creating spiritual moments, conversations that you can have so that you can bring about the Word of God into their ears and let them hear what God has to say. Just be long-suffering towards them because you don't want them to perish. You want them to come to repentance. Next week, we're going to continue with Jesus' conversation with this woman at the well. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next week. God bless. Thank you for joining us for Field Notes. If you have been blessed by the preaching and teaching you have heard, consider visiting our website at militaryfellowshipministry.com and click the Donate button. Any amount will be a great help to us as we continue to reach our men and women in the military with the gospel. Join us next week as we continue our study of God's Word. God bless you.